Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me in the bowels of Dope Campbell Stadium, Chris Nee. Hi, Chris. Hi, Brendan. We are going to bring a high-energy, enthusiastic, just unrelenting passion. Jolly. Jolly? Jolly. Well, you can be jolly. I'll be jolly. Because you're a little bit bigger than I am. (laughs) Welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Camp is, well, for for us, done. FSU still has a practice on Friday and then a, a scrimmage on Saturday, and that'll be a, a simulated game scrimmage on Saturday night. I think they're going to do it right at 8 o'clock to kind of mimic the, the home opener against Virginia Tech, which is right around the corner. So uh, this podcast is going to basically be a recap of, of what we learned in camp, uh, some of the narratives that kind of built up. Obviously, we're going to talk about the quarterback battle, and then we're going to end it by taking you know some of your questions. Not a whole lot. I think we have five or so, because I think we're going to end up kind of going over a lot of what you guys want to know. So uh, let's just get right into it, Chris. Camp? thoughts on where this team stands and, and now as you kind of have an idea of what they what they have and what they don't have what's a realistic expectation for the season feel free to give a win-loss record <laughs> I uh I entered camp thinking they're like a nine and three type football team mm-hmm. I still feel that way about them the starting 22 I feel pretty good is a talented bunch O-line that group the starting five I feel good about depth is an issue at a few positions O-line linebacker being two that I would definitely point to um but, I mean, all in all, camp's been a positive. They've stayed fairly healthy. I think guys have learned a good bit. It's clear that the system that was implemented over 15 practices in the spring has taken effect. Guys understand it. They know what's being asked of them. I think last Saturday with the first scrimmage, the situational scrimmage, it was a little concerning that the defense in some ways got gouged mm-hmm. to some level. Some of that, though, is also that there were key pieces out. You know, I don't think Stanford or Dontavious participated in that. Marvin Wilson, who's a big piece, wasn't part of it. Kane, though, I don't think participated. I think he was at least limited if he did. So there's guys that can make a difference that weren't out there. But all in all, it's been a pretty positive camp. Like you said, no huge injuries. Uh, we'll get into some of the injury tidbits a little bit later on in the podcast, probably about 10, 15 minutes in. I'm trying to be organized. We'll see see how that goes. Uh, I'm kind of in the same mindset that you are, Chris. I think eight and four is kind of where I'm at, but that's not a whole lot, a whole lot different there. I think this is a good team. I think you're going to see improvement from last year, for just a couple, couple of reasons. Uh, the, the offense sounds like it's going to be a lot more, uh, let's just say, efficient. They're going to be maximizing their skill sets and what they have. I think they're going to really focus on running the football. We've kind of gotten that vibe from from camp, uh, and they obviously have a lot of depth there. Willie Taggart feels really good about about the run game. Uh, we've heard a lot of good things about the offensive line, as you said. So those are going to be things that, that are going to allow the offense to be better. I think the defense, the starters, I think, if they're healthy, you're going to feel pretty good about. There's some depth issues, especially at linebacker, a little bit more inside on the defensive line that we maybe had thought. Uh, but overall, this is a good, talented team. And I think you know if the goodwill they've kind of built up in camp, everything sounds good, but always does in camp, I think there's reason for, for optimism for Florida State that you're going to improve from last year and you're going to get close to double-digit wins. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. The big question, uh, I think the thing that we still don't have a clear answer on, although you and I have kind of had this theory working since before camp, and I don't think anything has changed, is quarterback battle. We both went into it thinking DeAndre Francois. Everything that we've seen and heard has kind of indicated that he has an edge there. Uh, and uh, here we are, what is it, Thursday as we're recording this? I, I'm thinking he's going to be named the starter when I'm not sure maybe after Saturday's scrimmage I think he's the guy yeah you've had 16 practices you have two more with the 18th being a scrimmage before you turn your attention fully to Virginia Tech week I'd be surprised if we go into next week without knowing who the quarterback is or at least the team knowing who the quarterback is maybe they don't make it public or disclose it but 
Yeah, I, I think Saturday will settle that issue if it is not already settled, which I think to some degree it is already settled. And yeah, I still am of the opinion that it's DeAndre Francois that will be taking the first snap at quarterback. As of Wednesday evening, the team didn't know. At least uh, in terms of we, yeah. we 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 don't know what the team knew. But the, it didn't the sound coaches like had it. not yeah. stood before the room and told them this yeah. is their quarterback. Part of me wonders if they kind of are beginning to realize though who who the guy is going to be. Because at this point, you know, the first part of camp, FSU was legitimately splitting reps pretty equally with all three quarterbacks: James Blackman, Bailey Hockman, and DeAndre Francois. Uh, kind of got indications that's changed a little bit, and that was kind of the plan going forward, especially after the first scrimmage. And, and the staff has said, like, this, you have to start kind of putting together an, an idea of what you are on offense. So it's kind of poop or get off the, the pot time in that sense. So I think they are starting to get an idea just based on reps, who the guy's going to be. And again, it sounds like that's probably going to be DeAndre. Yeah, they're, as a group, as a coaching staff, they're not the type that does a lot of rotate for the sake of rotating. They don't cross-train on the O-line. Mm-hmm. They're about, let's figure out who our best guys to run out there are and who's the depth that we can rely on. And, you know, we're going to we're gonna go about our business with those guys being the ones that have proven something. They're going to be the main ones out there. And quarterback's one of those positions where I think the cream has kind of risen to the top with regards to who puts them in the best position to win and can they also trust him. And I think with DeAndre, it was more about the second than the first. He had to earn back the trust of the team, of the coaches, and in general, I think he's done a good job of that. I don't want to overspeak on that, but I think he's done a good job of putting himself in a position where the people in the locker room that need to trust him, both from a game construction standpoint and playing the game alongside him, do trust him. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of what was DeAndre's – the reservations that we had going into the offseason with him, well, there, there were a bunch. I mean, it's kind of miraculous if he does end up being the starter when you look at overcoming the knee injury and getting back to – to what they think is 100% or at least close to it, uh, missing the spring with that and not having a chance to learn a new offense with the other quarterbacks, um, and then three, the, the off-field stuff. And that was him showing the maturity uh, uh, at least enough to, that you said, Chris, to at least show that he's someone who you can, I'm trying to, someone that you can change. trust. Well, I mean, but I don't want to oversell change. You know, yeah, I, I don't want to be like this is a complete 180, but it's someone who at least understands that this he, is important he's, time for him. He's made decisions along the way that point towards him realizing he needs to do things in a different manner. Yeah. Moving back to campus being part of the most significant of the bunch. Mm-hmm. But he's been around the team consistently from all counts. He's been fairly good in that setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, It's a drastic departure from where things stood exiting last regular season. Yeah, It's positive development. Yeah, I just I don't want to tell people like, oh, it's just a complete alternative. Yeah, is he no, still a conservative we're kid? We're not turning it into a movie script with yeah. some magical turnaround. I'm sure there's still some issues and things he works through. But in general, what he needed to do to put himself in a position to be entrusted to starting quarterback position, he has done. Yeah, he's done enough to where they think he's the most talented guy and the other stuff doesn't hinder their decision. I think that's kind of where the direction we're headed. Can we talk real quick, Chris, and go on to get your thoughts on like how... What if you I mentioned- say no? <laughs> um, <laughs> this has well, been the North ask, 24-7 podcast. <laughs> um, Certainly we can. What... I'm trying to be more buttoned up and professional. They're really in my mind, in my emotions. <laughs> this is going to spiral, though, once I decide to, to, to go full heel turn. How he fits into the offense and why DeAndre, why both you and I, I guess, have been led to believe he is the best fit for them. They're, they're physical tools. That's obviously a reason why he's in this position. Yeah, obviously there will be questions about the knee, but in reality he's the most athletic of the three as far as being able to do the most things in the system. His ability to push it down the field is pretty special. 
He has the best fastball of the three consistently. Mm-hmm. He's just a guy who, and he's made a big improvement with the underneath and short passes, which are obviously important in this scheme. Mm-hmm. The ability to throw quick screens, bubbles, things of that sort, work to the edges real fast. He's gotten much better with making those throws consistently, which was a knock I always had on him, you know, two years ago. Since high the last school. time we really saw him play yeah. a lot, I still thought it was a big weakness for him. I think his game is much more well-rounded than it used to be in the sense of being able to make all the throws. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just the most ready of the three. Blackman struggled a great deal that first week. I think he's been better since. I've been told he's been better since. Hawkman's been fairly consistent, but there's some constraints to what his game is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. I think Francois is your best mixture of all the elements you're looking for at a quarterback position. Yeah, and, and with Bailey, like I think he would have had to have just an amazing camp and be head over heels better than everyone every single day. I think there have been yeah. days where he's been the best guy or at least close to it, but given that you have other ones who have legitimate experience, that's I know the coaches have said they don't care about the, what happened before, but that does have some weight, it looks like. I think that's part of it. With James, you mentioned the consistencies in the first week. Yeah, that was he, he put himself in a little bit of a hole there. I don't know if it doesn't sound like he's quite been able to dig himself out of it. He's someone who can benefit, I think, from time to kind of sit back, refine mechanics, and, and obviously get a little bit bigger um, as much as he can be with his body type. With DeAndre, yeah, he, I think he's the best of – of everything that you need. He has experience. He has mobility, and that matters in this offense. It's, it doesn't have to be – you don't have to be Quentin Flowers, but you need to be able to move the ball. And, and he has said that he thinks he can bring that, and that could be showcased in this offense. We'll see. But we've seen glimpses of it in the past. And you mentioned the arm talent, Chris. I think he has the highest ceiling there with what he can do uh, as far as making every single throw and the ones that he couldn't make or struggled with, which are important in this offense, to be able to hit a bubble screen and be able to get the ball out to the perimeter – uh, accurately and quickly, that, that's something he has to get better at, and it sounds like he's made progress there. Again, I don't want to say this is Jamin Winston, who Jamis was awesome at throwing bubble screens. Him and Kenny Shaw were, were great at that, but but he's gotten better there. Um, and in terms of the knee, just w- w- worth noting today, uh, Willie said that Willie Taggart said that DeAndre's knee, I don't think they've given it a whole lot of contact, right? They said they haven't hit any quarterbacks. I think that includes the scrimmage. So who knows <laughs> how it holds up, but it sounds like they feel okay with it. Most quarterbacks oddly enjoy that first moment they get hit again after yeah. they've had a knee injury because they get up and they keep going. Andrew, and it, it kind of knocks the wall down from Andrew Luck. Yeah, he talked that about that week, yeah, with, his, with his shoulder. So you don't really know till it happens. Yeah. You know, he'll get whacked at some point. You know, maybe somebody from the VTech edge comes off or a corner gets him. If he springs back up, I think he'll be, you know, from a mental standpoint, it helps you get beyond that roadblock. It's one of those things you can't do until you've done it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing I'll say on DeAndre is it's supposed to be his job. When you're constructing the roster and putting it together, mm-hmm. this is the time in DeAndre's college career where he was supposed to be the starter of this football team. So it's sort of him seizing a moment. Now that's upon him. And I think it's been good for him that he has the two kind of personalities he's competing with. Bailey is a gritty, competitive dude, smart as hell from a football sense, knows what he's doing. You know, Bailey's one of those guys, if you ask him on the whiteboard, he's going to nail it. If you put him on the field and tell him what to do, he's going to know exactly what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He's very good in that sense. And with James, he's a competitive, easygoing guy who, from a team standpoint, I think fits the dynamics better than any of the three. Mm-hmm. He just gets along with those guys well. So I think those two, from both the on- and off-field standpoint, help to push DeAndre to be his best self. And I think... I'm trying to. I'm going to paraphrase, but when we were speaking to the all the assistant coaches, that's been fun. Uh, at media day, Walt Bell was talking about the quarterbacks, and when he was talking about James Blackman, he said something along the lines of, "He's a joy to coach. Like he yeah. just like he 
the way he handles every single practice and he's competitive and he's fun loving uh, and he cares immensely. And you saw that last year when things were going well, he was upbeat and joyous. When things went poorly, he took it really hard. Uh, and I think it's something that eventually he has to get a little bit more even killed to an extent. But as far as a coach, like you love that that guy, like he almost got in, into it with Brian Burns in the first week of camp because Burns let Bailey Hawkman know that he sacked him, got in his face and <laughs> James Blackman comes running over to say something like, there's something to be said for having that guy on the roster to push DeAndre, who's been more or less kind of, I'm trying to think of the Introverted. Right. Introverted is a good degree. way, a little aloof. Uh, to have that kind of push that out of him, I think that's very healthy. I think DeAndre's made great strides in that regard, too. Even like in, some in of like speaking the, to us yeah. and interacting with his teammates and handling situations on the football field in practice, he's much more comfortable and feels much more natural with mm-hmm. doing that stuff, which in the past, he just that wasn't him. That wasn't what he did. I've always been told he's good at handling a huddle and good with those guys, but in general, as just an onlooker at times, he's been much better at it. I, I just feel like he's more part of the DNA of the team. Mm-hmm. Instead of being in the past, I've always felt like he was segmented with his group of guys that he was very close with, which was largely a group that he grew up with, guys he knew for a long time, Nooney, Patrick, Murray, Jones, guys yeah. like that. I feel like he's gotten much better at being a part of the entire roster of '85. I agree, and he's he's kind of admitted to that. Like credit to him. Like he he said at media day, when I had my injury, I I backed off. I was dealing with that, and I think some of those problems persisted before, but that really sh- shined a light on just how I think much of a disconnect there was with him and, and the whole entire roster. Uh, you see it now, and I don't want to make too big of a deal, but like on the Instagram videos that Florida State puts up, like when they were at IMG, he's there singing with his teammates while Janarius Robinson's playing piano. Like that's different. That's stuff that you didn't see before. I don't want to say that, again, means a complete 180, but that shows progress. That yeah. shows evolution. And, I, and, again, if you're Florida State, that's, that's encouraging. He's certainly taken to the words that were shared to him by his head coach. Mm-hmm. The conversations they had – Things that were discussed, things that Willie wanted to see out of his quarterback, DeAndre's taken to that, which is good. It's shown growth. He, he's a he's a maturing young man who's shown you know growth on and off the field. Willie Taggart, the quarterback whisperer. <laughs> All right, next subject. <laughs> We've talked enough about quarterbacks. All right, camp narratives and development. A uh, few different topics that I think we've seen a lot of questions on, and I think we need to devote a few minutes to each one. Yeah. All the big guy talk about the offensive line. Chris Snee's eventually going to write a really good offensive line story. I How's am, that for pressure? Whenever I get off my keister and actually write <laughs> that story, it'll be good. First team O-line, real solid group. Jawan will have his up and downs, which obviously you don't want at left tackle, but he's the best option they got. Um when they're good, they're really good. They had moments during Saturday's scrimmage where they looked like the kind of O-line that if they need to get a tough yard, they could get it. If they need to pass, block it up, they could do it. They they looked like a complete group, and they're cohesive. That's the biggest difference to me with watching this O-line prepare compared to recent years with the O-line. There, there's a matter of understanding the guy to your left and your right in that starting five because they have had a lot of practices together. You mean cross training? I think over and over isn't a, a good bad thing. thing. Yes, <laughs> I, I. You can cross train all day if you know who your five are and your you know they're veterans and they're fully. That wasn't this group. This group needed to figure out who their five were and then try to be the best five together they could be. They've done a very good job of that. The interior depth is pretty good, relatively speaking. You know, they got a few options at guard. Center would be a little sketchy if Alec was to get hurt. Bavion snapping has been inconsistent at times. They don't really have another guy who's a very capable snapping center on this roster. They do have a lot of guys that can play guard. I think if there's an injury at a tackle, you'd probably see one of the current guards, specifically Derek Kelly, slide out to a tackle spot, and then you see a guard elevated on the roster. 
Um, so all in all, good group, still fairly thin. Those young guys are not going to give you much of anything this year, at least not off the bat. You know, Goss isn't physically prepared to. Chaz Neal's learning to position. Christian Armstrong could do a little work at guard, but I don't think you want to see him on your too deep right now. I mm-hmm. think he's a guy that you want to see development from. And Christian Meadows is dealing with a shoulder issue. So those are four bodies that are down the road for you, but they're not this year, guys. So in reality, you got about ten bodies that you can deal with. I'm not an Abdul Bellow believer, obviously. So you've got a lot of interior types that you can do it. If they have two tackle injuries, they're going to be in deep trouble. I think, yeah, it, you mentioned 10 guys that they maybe have at their disposal. How many of them will I'll weave this in here? Corey Martinez leaving. You, you didn't think that was a huge deal? Corey's I, I was great, more of the proponent that that was uh, not great, not great for because of the depth that they have. To so me, limited. Corey Martinez is a phenomenal practice player, a young man that understood fully what they were trying to do, knew how to go about doing his business. Do you want to see Corey Martinez out there against a major D1 program going against D1 size defensive linemen? No. But but who else do you feel comfortable with? Like, let's say... From a knowledge standpoint? I don't think there were many ahead of Corey. From well, a I'm physical just, standpoint, I think a vast majority of them are ahead yeah, of Yeah, but, but that's, um, who else would you feel more comfortable with in a plug-and-play in any ACC game? Just pick a random one, let's say, uh, well, think, up at Louisville. I think Babyon could go in if he's at center. He might struggle with snapping some, which is obviously a concern. But I think he's capable of giving you quality Physically, plays. Yes. for sure. Yeah. Arthur Williams, I think if you're in a pinch, can do the guard position, especially left guard. That's been his heavy focus. And... He's taken well to it, and he's always had the skill set that worked there. They like I remember Arthur. watching him as yeah. a recruit and thinking he could easily be a pulling guard, and he'd be really good at it. So it's not a huge leap for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and as he said, it's still about mono-mono physicality, and he's good at that. He's a bit of a wrestling bear. Um, you know, the other guy is Brady Scott. I, I don't know if Brady's ready for prime time. I'm not a dual bellow believer, as I've said many a time. Mike Who Arnold, else is it? Mike, Mike Arnold, Mike Arnold is—he's uh, kind of like Jawan Williams. You're going to have some real good moments with Mike, but I think you're also going to have some real bad moments. It's going to be a little feast or famine for him there, especially till he gets a lot of reps under his belt in a true game setting. Mm-hmm. But he's had moments, and they've worked hard on him. And he's a guy that Greg's grinded on, and I think it's with a purpose. Yeah, it's about pushing Mike Arnold to be the best possible Mike Arnold it can be. Some of it's willing him to be in a better physical condition, better conditioning, all those things. So you can throw him in a pinch, but. Let's be honest. The O-line, real good starting five. Probably have eight that you can really trust, ten that you could put out there. But the depth is a massive issue. But there's no magic potion for fixing that. There's nothing they can do. I mean, the best thing they could do was moving a guy over there. They did that with Arthur. He's been serviceable and worthwhile. But in general, that group is sort of what it is. You better hope the starting five can stay pretty healthy. And, you know, one injury probably can weather two injuries. You're you're heading towards dangerous territory. Especially, like you said, at tackle. Yeah. I guess that was my point is you could just their the options ta- are their so Their tackle thin. situation is dreadful. Yeah. They've uh, got essentially four guys on their roster who can play tackle that are somewhat built like tackles, and that's including Landon Dickerson. Dickerson, Kelly, Williams, who's the fourth? Fourth would be a – well, I'm including Jalen Goss and uh, okay. Chaz Nail. Jalen's going to be guy. good. Yes, Jalen's going to be I, very I think, good. But he he's needs to very fill out the thin, frame. Very thin. Improve the strength, those kind of yeah. things. He's a guy that he's being manufactured for two, three years down the road, not for six games into mm-hmm. the season. Um, but that that's not on this staff. There's nothing they could really do about it unless they pulled a rabbit out of their hat at the end of last cycle. Mm-hmm. They were always going to be in a pinch at that position. Dickerson's been excellent at right tackle. He's become an excellent leader, very good player. Jawan Williams is, you know, he understands what's on his shoulders. He understands the workload and what he has to do at that position. 
he's taken to it, but he's going to have bad moments. There's going to be film where Juwan Williams is not going to look good on it. Mm-hmm. But I think he's also capable, and the ceiling is pretty high for the kid. Yeah, there, there's times I've heard in practice like where he physically looks like he could be an early-round draft pick. You see the way he can move out of the, out of the stance and, and bend and be quick, and then there's times where he just gets his butt kicked. Ragdolled, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that, I think, is going to be an embodiment of, of what the offensive line can be, but you're starting to at least see... I mean, maybe that's not fair because I think that you've actually heard it be pretty. There's at least it, three consistent guys on that line. Four of Minshew stays healthy. And the other conversation you got to have with the O line is you got to coach around it at times. Yeah, which it, this offensive scheme, in theory, quick passes should help with. You know, being very direct with the play movement, very mm-hmm. quick. You know, moving bodies to where you need them to be for that particular play. Those are the kind of things they're going to have to do as an O line. Well, let's use that. So we'll pivot into or transition into. Uh, one other narrative that I want to talk about, and you touched on it very early on in the podcast, Chris, and that was the offense being better than the defense. Uh, one for context, you mentioned injuries. Both sides had injuries. I will say for the defense, the very middle of the, that group, like, like you draw a straight line back. Marvin Wilson, he's getting better. We'll talk about injuries in a little bit, uh, but he wasn't participant. Dontavious Jackson, not a participant, so that's your middle linebacker, and then your your field safety or Zeus safety, whatever you want to call it. Stanford Samuels, again, right? So basically, and they got picked on down the middle. But one thing that the offense aligned, so the two things that the offense did very well, uh, they ran with tempo well. When Bailey Hawkman said that, that really that got them going. Uh, when, when I talked to my media day and some of the defenders said they struggled with that, and they were able to run the ball inside really, really well. Um, so those are two things that, that I think – I'm not sure if that's more of an indictment on the defense or if that's something that this offense may do well, and maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I didn't hear it was a massacre, but it was one-sided. There was uh, disappointment with how the defense performed. I think Burnett it was expressed to expectations. that to him at the yeah. end of the scrimmage, too. He wasn't shy about the fact that I think there was some concern with the amount of effort put in when things weren't going well. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've talked a lot as preseason coaches have talked about it about teaching these guys how to handle negative moments. And I think on Saturday there were negative moments and they didn't handle them particularly well. And I think that was a disappointment to them because of the amount of effort and work they put in there. Now they've spoken, and it's you know pretty par for the course, but they've said they've bounced back Monday and Tuesday, saw things they wanted to see. I don't think long-term it's an issue if you have the healthy first-team guys you expect on your defense. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that with in terms of depth because we have some people asking questions about the depth of the defense, but... There's some areas there, too, that I think could be problematic, much like the offensive line. Um, but it's encouraging. I, you know, when you always you talk about scrimmage in this time of year, and even in the spring, like you're talking about the defense being ahead of the offense. That's kind of an old cliche, and that's true at every single level. Pop Warner, high school, college, NFL, that just happens. Uh, the offense is much more choreographed, and there's a lot more moving pieces to it. Uh, the fact that the offense is at least showing – and all three quarterbacks, it sounds like, did some good things in terms of managing the offense. I think that's encouraging. Then it's a scrimmage, though, so you're playing against yourself. Yeah. You do some, if you do some, yeah. if someone's every doing good, something Every well, good has a bad, and every bad has a good. I think yeah. sometimes people forget that when we do a practice report. You know, If someone's doing something well, that means someone's yeah. doing something poorly, too, or, or not well. Jimbo used to like to say, like, oh, if someone did something great because they did something great, that's, it's tough to judge, though. Tim Linnefeld of Seminole.com gets Plug. the ability to watch more of the practices. All and the practices. He wrote, I believe it was yesterday that he wrote it, yesterday being Wednesday, that uh, there was a lot of really good one-on-one competitions where a great play was made. Mm-hmm. And that's what a coach truly wants to see. 
Yeah. They don't want to see broken plays where plays happen, where they have to fix something. They want to see where athlete A makes a better play than athlete B, but both were in position to make the play. Mm-hmm. That's what a coach ultimately wants to see in the preseason. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to you don't want to be scoring because someone just blew an assignment or, or just whiffed on a tackle. You you want to see competition. That's one thing that Willie Taggart has pushed from the very beginning uh, since he's been since he's arrived at Florida State, frankly. Uh, and I think we've seen guys kind of take to that. That's just something that was kind of lost previously, and they, they've gotten back to that a little bit. How sustainable is that? You know, we'll, that's kind of one of the million-dollar questions. But I think people being concerned about the defense's physicality, um, again, there was just a lot of injuries uh, to, to that unit, and especially a certain area that they got kind of picked on. I, it's a, and it was a, Also, you mentioned this, Chris, it was a situational scrimmage. My understanding was that the defense was put in bad situations yeah. intentionally. So they were grading on a curve. I, I think that's important for, for context. Uh, is this defense going to be an elite unit this year? I don't think so uh, because there's some question marks with depth and linebackers specifically I think still has some unknowns, which is not great at this point in the camp to, to have still be trying to figure things out. Um, but I do think it's going to be a good unit. I, I, I feel pretty confident in that. But injuries matter. Now there's my segue into injuries. See how organized this is? It's like a... Like a well-produced machine. Tell me, tell me, I'm doing well. Tell You're me. doing great, buddy. Thanks. I'm here for your positive reinforcement. <laughs> That's all I you need. You put a quarter in, I'll give it to you. Um, injuries. Where do we want to start? Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball because I think that's where the most persists. Dontavis Jackson, we tailbone. He was out there walking around. I was told it was a minor injury. Never was told what the injury was before Willie spoke on it today. Mm. I'm not worried about him. I suspect he will be playing full go come a week from Monday. Uh, Stanford Samuels had the really cool. Uh, <laughs> he had he had a brace, but he wasn't it wasn't on his leg like we saw. So because so, we haven't talked about on the podcast, if anyone hasn't seen or heard, like it was on last Sunday, right? It was this past Sunday, media day, yeah. fan day, Sunday. And, and on one of the FSU Instagram account, they were showing pic- you know players taking pictures, and he had the the big brace on his leg, and it looks like one that you would do for like a hyperextension. People are like, oh my god, has he had surgery? Well, no, he practiced on Friday, so he wouldn't have had surgery and then be walking around on Sunday. I haven't heard hyperextension. I don't know for sure, but regardless, it doesn't sound like it's something that's going to keep him out a ton of time. Harlan Barnett said, was it earlier in the week? It was on Wednesday, uh, that he thought that he would be available, that Stanford could be available. Whether that is for the season opener, whether that does or does not come to fruition, it doesn't sound like it's going to be something that, that causes a season. Yeah, it's or, a short vacation, not a long vacation, to yeah. quote somebody that was speaking on it. Just how long, we're not sure. We haven't been given a true timetable. You know, four to six was being thrown out there. I think it might be closer to two to four type. Um, saw him walk out to practice today. He was moving fairly well. He looks comfortable on it. He doesn't have support on it. He, he That's a good it. sign. Now the question is how comfortable is he cutting yeah. and breaking on and doing what a defensive back has to do with his lower half. That's where the question comes in. He walked out without the knee brace, but it was on his arm and it looked like Batman's yeah. Uh, utility. Yeah, I'm sure the minute Jake, the trainer, saw him, that knee brace became part of his uh, attire. Forever. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, long term, it's not a big issue. Will he play against Virginia Tech? To be determined. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely convinced that available meant that he's definitely playing. I think it's a little bit of a gamesmanship at this point in time. Yeah, and Florida State is fortunate the way the schedule shakes out. Like, if you get past Virginia Tech, I think you can kind of yeah. afford. Yeah, Sanford is afford, what it is. Yeah, you can afford to, to take a little bit of time. Uh, because people have asked, and I, I won't don't want to go back to it, uh, but a few people have asked who replaces him at that field safety role. Cyrus Fagan. Cyrus Fagan makes the most sense. Yeah. I think Hampson Nasserlein got some work there, but it'll be Cyrus 
Hampson, AJ Westbrook. Uh, probably, I think you're see all three of those guys kind of rotate in uh, at the safety spots. But Cyrus makes the most sense yeah. physically. Cyrus had gotten a lot of praise in the spring, and it carried over to the preseason. I think he just wasn't talked about as much because he was behind Stanford. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like Leonard Warner at middle linebacker. People talk about linebackers and how it's not a great unit. Yeah, it's not. But Leonard Warner is actually a very good backup. And that's why he's not talked about more, because he is backing up Dontavious Jackson, who's the best piece of that whole segment. So, you know, I don't think it's a massive – obviously, I think very highly of Stanford. I'm the one that believes he'll be a fir- first-round pick down You made me say first-round. Round. Yes, I did. So, obviously, I think he's excellent. I don't want to say Cyrus is exactly the same in a clone and all that, but there's not a massive drop-off with Cyrus Fagan playing football. Yeah, I think Cyrus is a little more one-dimensional right now with the skill set, and that's as someone who can cover in space. But that's the one thing you got to do well, and I think you could do it well at, at the yeah. Zeus role. And a couple other guys, Marvin Wilson, every day he's doing more. He definitely looks like he's on the right road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Odell has been hesitant to talk a lot about how close he is playing. He always, he always directs it to Willie Taggart when we ask him about it. Odell doesn't like to talk about anything. Right. Out of school at all, and then uh, he's a classic. Kando, they brought along very slowly. It looks like he's also ramping up. He had a surgery to deal with an issue that he had with an injury. That's one of those things for a defensive lineman is very easy to re-injure. I think they're simply kind of keeping him in bubble wrap till he plays a real football game. Yeah, um, people are always asking about it. I understand it, and I know there's not been a whole lot of specifics because he hasn't said it when he was given a chance. Well, Taggart's not going to say it. The God-honest truth with Kando is I don't believe that there's some massive issue there. It's simply why put him in a full tilt practice and get him hurt when you can use him in game and see if he's fine. It's much better to have him against VTech than to get him hurt two weeks before because he wanted to see just how much he could do. And I and I think a lot of people with Kando, well, at least a, there was a vocal minority for sure, that, that were placing expectations on him to be a stud this year. Well, I'm in that category. I think he is a stud. I, I don't know if he's quite ready to do I think he will be by the time it's all said and done. I think yeah. people are looking at what – he has four career sacks and all th- think, four came against Delaware State. I think that light's going to come on very quick, though, when he do has – you want to put a bet on how many sacks No, has? no, I'm not okay. going to do that. But <laughs> at that position where you basically have Robinson, Amy, um, Burns, and it's him. Those are your main four. And then, you know, guys like Dennis Briggs and Xavier Peters might give you snaps too. He's going to get an opportunity, and at some point it's going to click for him. I mm-hmm. believe when it does click for him, that's not going to be – you know, a flash that goes away. I think it's going to be something he builds on. Mm-hmm. Talent-wise, intelligence-wise, he he's very good. He and checks hustles, a lot of boxes. Which yes. I like. Um, so. I, I just I think more he's a rotational guy right now. And, it, yeah. and the way they're going to use the defensive ends, if you remember back in 2015 uh, with a different staff, but they rotated DeMarcus, Jacob Pugh, Giorgio Newberry, and I'm blanking on who the fourth one was. They had four guys that they rotated in and, and saw a lot of snaps. That's what Michigan State did with Arlen Barnett. Uh, so Brian Burns, and they've kind of alluded to that. Like they, you know, Brian Burns is going to be obviously a huge part of what they do. He's going to be the nucleus of that defensive line. Um, but Kando's going to get like 300, 400 snaps, and if you keep him fresh, and those are good ones, I just think people thinking he was going to come out and be a superstar this year is premature. Um, I don't think he'll be available. Like I, People are freaking out because they haven't seen him a lot this preseason. I think he'll be available. I just think it's going to be – uh, a reduced role from what I, some were hoping, maybe. They want defensive ends to play a blow. Yeah. That, you know, they exhaust themselves in the snaps they get. They, you know, with Burns, they've talked to him about making sure he does that. He's obviously had a very good preseason, been praised a great deal. Jay Roberts spent a lot of talk of he's made drastic improvements, but it's a consistency thing now for him. Need mm-hmm. to do it more consistent. And Jay Rob himself said on a Sunday that. I need to understand that if I'm out there for five snaps, I need to go all the way on five snaps. 
We saw in the spring when he does. Yeah. Uh, there's some so, pretty cool. And then Wally's a guy that's physically prepared himself to be a big-time contributor for them he from may, a staff Yeah, he may have I – mean, he'll be in a close to a starting caliber role at least early in the year. I think that's part of why they've been able to bring uh, Kendo on. Yes. J-Rob's emergence and Wally getting in shape to play that position full-time I think definitely has allowed – for the workload on Kando to be limited in the preseason, where mm-hmm. you can afford to do that and still get a good look in practice. And then Dennis Briggs, I think, has been someone that they've liked, and I think he'll be in the rotation earlier than yeah. later, or sooner than later. That allows it. I haven't heard a whole lot on Xavier Peters since he's kind of entered back in, in the fold. He looks he looks the part, and he looks like yeah. he's someone. He's 240 right now and looks like he's going to be 265 by the time it's all said and done and be a prototypical physically what you expect out of that position. Uh, so you're going to have five or six guys there. Uh, any other injuries? I'm trying to think offensive side. Cole Minshew's ankles are perpetually taped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just call him tape at this point. Like, poor guy. Uh, but it looks like he'll be available and ready to go. Offense. Nooney and DJ are being brought along slowly. But they're really available. They both really have available. said they're 100%. You know, Brooks interviews. has been brought along slowly mm-hmm. in some, but he'll be available. Like, I think they're in pretty good shape for the most part. They've had a pretty intense, really, really physical yep. uh, preseason. They hit every single day just about. They didn't today. They were uh, Do they were something, shorts. circle of life, no drill, Oklahoma drills. They've done all these things to mm-hmm. drive home the point of football is a physical game. You need to play it at a physical level. I call the extended no, or the no drills extended Oklahoma drills and someone in the, in the program doesn't like that. So, no drills. No drills. Sorry. Stick to the script. <laughs> I can't freelance at all. Uh, last other narrative, uh, and it's going to be uh, Noel nine one one eight five, and other people asked about freshmen. Keyshawn Helton's one name that we've heard over and over again. I'll do something on the weekend, kind of looking at excited uh, freshman impact guys that I just predicted before camp. Like anything in life, you hit on most, but you, there's a few surprises. Keyshawn Helton, one of them. He was number ten for me originally. A guy I thought like had a chance to contribute. Now he's way up mm-hmm. on the he's list. He's going to do some things. Kick returns, yeah. potentially punt second return, punt returner. Yeah. Going to play a little bit in that slot. Jet sweep. So find a way to get him the football. Treshawn Harrison, another guy that they like at wide receiver. Find a way yeah, to get he, him the football. He's every bit of the billing he got as a recruit. Yep. Yeah, part when I watched the, the you know, some of his highlight tapes and stuff, is like he looked really fast, but we just weren't sure of the level of competition. Like He looks, makes it look effortless yeah. out there. That's impressive. Um, people Dennis like, Briggs is a surprise along with Keyshawn. He's probably the biggest surprise on the defensive side of ball, I would say. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other surprises. Let me pull I mean, L- Litton's been good. Litton's a guy that's kind of worked himself into the mix with the two deep, and Asante Samuel was in that conversation, uh, that's too. Right, yep. But they're both guys you sort of expect that from. Briggs, yep. as a bigger body, thought there might be a little bit of a transition period. Really hasn't been. He's been very good. He's kind of not sneaky athletic, but he's surprisingly athletic for how he's built. You look at him and you watch him move, and the two don't always jive with what you probably – think in your head when you see the frame and the way it's built uh let's see anthony grant's been quote-unquote a pleasant surprise as, yeah but that uh, position's so damn loaded that it's like you know you can be really good and you still might not play a whole heck of a well, lot I was, sorry I was, anthony i was having a conversation <laughs> with someone in, in the department the other day in the athletic department they were saying yeah like one someone someone who's seen practices said they quote-unquote love him the way they yeah like watch him every day um but yeah they were saying oh, he made red shirt i was like well yeah, he, there's not going to be a need for him to ever touch the football within the offense. Uh, I don't think they redshirt much offensive skill at all as, no, as I don't a program. Either. But I will say this. He was out there repping with the first-team uh, punt punt coverage unit. Him would be uh, – there are a couple other freshmen. Other Whenever a freshman, that kind of like it triggers my uh, 
my spotty senses start tingling, I guess you could say. It's almost funny. We don't talk about Woodby as a freshman. Already. No, I know. I kind of forget about him. He's number one on my list, by the way. Yeah, but it's just funny. He's worked himself so much into the mix, and he looks like such a veteran with the way he approaches it day to day and consistently being at a high level. It's just it's nuts. He's he's so different than your average freshman. There's not a uh, curve or a maturation that he has to go through. He's very much ready for it. Yeah, mentally, physically, all, yeah. all it's all there. Uh, Robert Cooper's a name that I would say keep an eye on as far as a rotational guy. Someone that's getting some looks on special teams. Yeah, he, teams like a Boston College where you want to plug yeah. and make the middle you know tough to go through. He's gonna get some snaps. That's where the the redshirt rule with the four a lot of games like that's gonna make it interesting. Like that's a that's an exact example of someone you can say okay we don't want to use a redshirt but we could we can play him that we can play him that game. It's a rare occurrence of the NCAA actually making a sensible rule. Damn, that's such a good transition to what I will. Yeah, let's let's transition real quick. You want to talk about Stan Wilcox's legacy and he's someone who's who's uh, making making a transition to the NCAA. I wrote the. Uh, little bit on what I was hearing about the AD situation after Monday's uh, news broke. Stan did a good job here. He organized the department well, ran it at a high level. Books were balanced. The best thing Stan did at FSU, in my opinion, is hiring of people. He hired good people, created a hierarchy in athletics that's beneficial to the sports and the athletic program as far as being an organized group. You know, people like Vanessa and Carl mm-hmm. and uh, Jim, who's over compliance, and those sorts of people that do a very good job at what they do to make sure that the boss isn't having, having to handle it all. He did a good job of organizing and running that. And Coburn, who's the interim AD, spoke da- to David us this David Coburn, morning. yeah, um, for the and audience. He, he referenced that with Stan's legacy. Big thing is he made very good hires, and he did. Um, he referenced Willie Taggart, which, you know, I don't think that's very much Stan personally. That was kind of a slam dunk that he just had to catch the alley oop yeah, and throw it in the net. Stan knew. Uh, yeah, he didn't screw it up. That, that's <laughs> people. And that, that's people not. Were, I'm not trying to shortchange him on that. Yeah. He made the right hire and he did a good job. And he did it efficiently and he did it cleanly. And there's a lot of things that can go bad with hiring processes, right, Tennessee? Um, <laughs> but it was very much an alley oop that he just had to catch and slam through the net. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knew the minute that this thing started rolling downhill that you were going to look at the guy at Oregon. Um. You know, as I once famously said to you, we don't need a hot board. We just have to put Willie Taggart on the page. We told that we told that to our boss. Well, I didn't because I don't have the testicular fortitude to do it. But someone wanted us to put together a, a, a hot board. But all in all, I think Stan did a good job. He was a miserable public speaker. Yeah. He didn't loosen the purse strings of the boosters. I think the relationship between athletics and the boosters does need some patchwork. Again, something that Coburn referenced yeah, this morning. That was probably the most interesting yeah. thing. And it's very true. It. It's something that's not some big secret, but it's not spoken on publicly very well, much. And I thought it was very good the way he said it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he plans to go about Coburn's the kind of guy that I took away from our conversation with him and with his background. Is someone who's very good at evaluating a situation and understanding how to improve that situation. And him and Andy Miller, for the record, are uh, longtime friends. Frat but they're brothers. fraternity brothers. Yeah. Fraternity brothers. For some people in the listening audience, yeah. won't like that. I didn't mean anything by it. <laughs> so, uh, what, one but, thing about Stan, real quick, and I'll and I'll let you finish off with that. Like, uh, just an anecdote because I one time was complaining to someone in the athletic department, like, like I wish Stan was better at getting in front of this program and leading it. And he said, yes, that's not a strength, but he delegates so well. And to your point, Chris, he makes really good hires. Uh, he has. Uh, the athletic department's in really good shape. 
Oh, but the but he allows people to do their job, and he allowed him to. And and you know, I think people wanted to see him be more upfront of things. Well, one, the situation with the guy he was working with, uh, a couple floors, you know, removed. Yeah, it's tough. Jimbo made it difficult. Football is the face of your program when yeah. you're FSU, and obviously that situation with Wilcox and that that group football Jimbo was a difficult like one. Stan very much, and I don't think Stan liked Jimbo very much. No. But Stan wasn't ever going to be public about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes it tough. But in reality, his job as an AD is to make sure the athletic department is running well, that the sports as a whole are running well, that things are going properly. You're not having compliance issues. You know, programs are making sure books balance, all those things. As a whole, the athletic department's been very good at that in his time here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the academics are the best they've ever he, been. He's um, set the job up well for the next guy to take mm-hmm. and run with it. I do hope the next guy is a very good sort of campaign manager who can, you know, build that relationship with boosters as mutually beneficial to boosters and athletics and improving this university from an athletic standpoint to push them into the future and put them in a position when they do have to make the next basketball hire, mm-hmm. when they add another sport down the road at some point, they're in great position to do it at an extremely high level. Yep, and there's a lot of money that needs to be Yeah, it's always about right now. money, money, money. Yeah. I mean, they're about to announce a uh, you know, $100 million campaign for facilities with the big piece of that being the football facility. you got to be able to win that crowd over. People that remember Dave Hart, whether they liked him or didn't like him, I think they'll give him credit for the Dynasty campaign, mm-hmm. which is a reason a lot of really nice athletic brick buildings on this campus exist and do look the way they do. All right, so we good? We good on yeah. athletic to Stan Wilcox's yeah, legacy? People only give so many you-know-whats uh, about ADs. Moving on, uh, real quick, people ask for a recruiting update. I'm not going to mention his name because Nick people Cross, are no, don't despite, say it. Nick Cross, despite some people Chris balling him to Penn State like a moron. I'll do whatever I want. Um, 100%. I expect him to commit to FSU tomorrow at some point. That's been, you know, since his visit in June, that's been FSU for him. He's had to make sure dad and mainly dad were behind it. And I think that that's come after conversations with the family. I don't think Dad was ever opposed to FSU. Dad's just he he Stanford, Notre Dame to the world. The academic offerings with football were the type that I think Dad really appealed to. The, mm-hmm. Those are what he cared about. You know, you get beyond that at some point. And also, I'm a big believer that your academics as a student athlete are very much what you make of them. Exactly. You know, I could get my own role on the phone and we can have that conversation. But you know, it is what you do with it. And you can talk to players who've gone to Stanford and haven't. Stanford's their, a better school than FSU. I'm not but, sitting here but, talking some idiotic No, but my stuff. point being is that you can you make of it what you yeah. want. There's I mean, plenty I of guys to, that get social sciences degrees because they're here to play football, and then there's guys that are here to play football that get great degrees. I mean, I think we saw that with Corey Martinez, who's gonna very quickly put to work the degree he earned to get a pretty good job yeah. outside of football. I went to I went to the Harvard of Orlando, and look at me now. <laughs> I'm 100% on crystal balls. I may have lost a lot of points yesterday. Yeah, you did lose a lot of points for a stupid pick. <laughs> but in general, recruiting-wise, Thibodeau is the only definite official for Virginia Tech. Derek Hall has previously told me he's coming for that game. I think there may be some maneuvering going on with that visit. We shall see. Kobe Dean, I spoke to him here recently, has not yet locked in FSU for an official. I do believe he will take an official. Mm -hmm. Just don't know when yet for sure. He's used one Alabama. LSU's definitely getting one. Georgia's definitely getting one. There's a few others, FSU, Texas A&M, some others, in the conversation for the remaining visits. Um, there's that, not that whole, feels good about Nicobe Dean. Yeah, re- recruiting, you know, this month with recruiting, it's not a whole lot. 
the college teams are preparing for their first games. The high school teams are preparing for their first games. The school year is starting for the high school kids. So there's just not a ton that goes on. So for FSU, it's about they've narrowed down that board. They're now focused on about you know eight to 12 major targets remaining, making sure they keep the commitments they definitely want to keep. And it's about closing down shop down the stretch. We'll have more on recruiting stuff, both both Chris and Josh will, I think, Probably next week. Next week, well, yeah, we'll pick up some with Virginia there's Tech. A, there's, there's a big official a, visit coming to Virginia yeah, Tech weekend. Dibs is coming for football. There will be a bunch of basketball official visitors, and there's going to be a ton of unofficial visitors. But football-wise, I think they're still going to push for officials later in the season for most. They're going to try to be one of the last visits for those kids that they're in major, major battles for. All right, going on 45 minutes here, and we're ramping up the end. Going to take five reader questions because we have limited time. Lightning round? I mean, we always say lightning round. It doesn't mean anything for the, for, <laughs> for these two ramblers. All right, number one, and if we don't get to your question, I'm sorry. Hopefully, I think we addressed almost everything you guys wanted to know to some extent or another uh, in the previous 45 minutes. But oh, we didn't talk receivers. Maybe someone here is talking. Oh. I was thinking about it. We talked about, I mean, I can only keep saying Lightning round! <laughs> we can only keep saying it so many times. Linebackers have their issues. We're going to do – That's part you, of it. You okay. be patient and just Just make wait. up a question about receivers and throw it in there so okay. we can talk about receivers. Uh, ben Cooner, obviously our uh, – yeah, probably our most prolific poster, I would say. He's right up there. He wants us to rank the following position groups in terms of confidence. Uh, someone's been doing confidence ratings for the last couple of years, but, but you know, we can do it on the podcast. Digress, boss. <laughs> okay. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, O-line, D-line, linebacker. Defensive back, special teams, we'll put tight ends in with wide receivers. Uh, who are you most confident with of all the position groups? You say this is this is your bread and butter is what you're going to win with. I mean, I'd probably go running back. I'd go I mean, running back, it, too. It's an insanely talented room. Next, uh, I would say defensive line. Yeah, tackles first and second. Yeah. yeah. But if you combine them as a group. Yeah, and then the secondary. Yep, I would do that, too. Oh, this is so great. And then probably next for me would be, I'd probably say quarterbacks because I feel fairly good with Francois. you got two guys who have started. And uh, then, so that leaves us with, well, this will probably be the nitty. Special teams, I think, is going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, the, the kicker and punter situation is good. I forget w- their people, too. Willie told, yeah, they're probably higher up ahead yeah. of quarterbacks. Um, yeah, you return the whole battery except for Holder, and you've got a guy who's a very capable Holder taking You have a new long no, You have a new, new long snapper, snapper, too, yeah. yeah. But he's a guy that's already been here that they've worked with. There's a lot of comfort in that. Tavares McFadden isn't here to return Thank, Thank the sweet Lord. <laughs> All right, so that leaves us with wide receiver, offensive line, linebacker. Uh, least, Everyone panic! Least confident for me is linebacker, but it's less of a necessity compared to O line. So I'd probably put O line down a little further because it's such a necessity. O line down. I'd probably have O line as my biggest concern. Okay. Because it is such a necessity to be good at. You know, it makes the offense go in many ways. You're still not talking about the wide receivers. Wide receivers would be <laughs> uh, from the bottom. It's O line, linebackers, and receivers. Receivers have plenty of talent. The slots are excellent. The outside guys are inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Keith Gavin needs to prove he can do something. George someone, Campbell needs you, to be healthy. If you want to read the Linnefelt uh, practice reports, he it drops little flashing. Easter eggs for yeah. you. Um, and I like. I think for us too. Like I'm like, hey, like he's saying that. I'm very much in the camp with Keith Gavin though. Till he does, does it, it on I, the field, I am too. I am two too. weeks in a row. Yep. I just don't know if I can buy it. That was it. kind of what we heard in the spring. Was he makes some amazing plays, and that's what Tim's writing. He makes some amazing ones. Tim's not going to write anything negative either, too. Right. We should have Tim on the podcast. We know who's paying about his it. checks. <laughs> um, you know, but Terry's a guy who we all think has a wealth of talent, but mm-hmm. he also has a lot of inconsistent moments, as we understand it. That, the outside receivers just have to be a group that 
I don't know if there's a guy in that group who I'm just like, oh yeah, he could go and take it. The Terry, Terry's probably that guy. Yeah, the Terry development is. But he's got to be consistent mm-hmm. at doing it. Um, but I, the slots, I mean, so you have Nooney, who could probably play inside or outside. Yeah. But I think makes sense to. There's not going to be anything to, wrong if you have if a four wide receiver set and you have him and DJ Matthews inside together. Like, right. You, that that's all right, and that's an easier high percentage throw for the quarterback to make too. Um, you just need those outside guys to make some splash plays downfield. I've heard good things about Ontario Wilson on mm-hmm. uh, this back half of camp. I think uh, he's been one of the more consistent guys. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, he's going to get rotation rotated in. I think. Early I just don't here, know if there's a guy chance. that can punch through the ceiling in that group. Who's kind of you're like, can he help you win a game single game? Mary and Terry can. Right, but he's got to go out and do it. Yeah. No, they all do. And I think that's one of the reasons. So I guess as we're trying to, yeah, I'd put wide receiver. I'd put it over linebacker. I'd put linebacker in the offensive line, and just I feel okay about the starting five. Uh, I've heard they've done some really nice things at times this camp, but that's one injury away from just completely. So in terms of confidence, eh, we're about the same, right? I think yeah. we're pretty pretty close at least. All right, next question. I, why do I have to read? I think that's unfair to do to me. <laughs> I can't read. Someone did ask about, uh, real quick, CB, uh, ooh, CBS Inc., O two as about Jordan Young, like where did he go? I think he's been uh, dealing he's with the hamstring. Been, yeah, yeah, he's, he's been like, banged up. All right, uh, CBUS Null or is it CBUS Null eighty four? Again, the names. Just how about you sign what you want me to read it as in this? Uh, but he wants to know how did John Willie Taggart Cincinnati? How did uh, I'm the one who interrupts? How did Willie Taggart <laughs> and Wapel's <laughs> offense do in red zone opportunities over the last few years? Conversely, how about Harlan Burnett's red zone defense at MSU? I um, mean. He goes on to say he thinks that'll be a pretty important op- Yeah, you need to be good in the red zone. So what I look at more than red zone scoring efficiency, it's touchdown efficiency. How often do you punch it in when you are when you have a chance to score? That matters. Willie Taggart's offenses the last three years, Oregon, USF, USF, has been 23rd or better nationally. Or Oregon, they were fourth uh, with a touchdown percentage of 78.57%. It's been 68 and then 70 the two other years at USF. So good, good. And I think there's a commitment to really focusing on running the football. Uh, I think having a quarterback that can run a little bit helps out in the red zone and kind of takes some pressure off and opens up what you can do. He's been good there. Uh, Harlan Barnett's defense is eh, not so great. They've been in the bottom half in the red zone, but they've also been the top half of opportunities that teams have had inside the red zone. Some of that may be tempo with Michigan State running a more plodding offense, um, but also uh, that defense is predicated to be kind of make or break too. Which, or yeah, exactly. So they're going to have a lot of three and outs or a lot of you know, turnovers, and they're going to give up some long drives too where they give up a chunk play or a big score. So there's that. How do you feel educated on that one, Chris? You did a phenomenal job there, my friend. Woo! You actually sounded good at this job. <laughs> Put a quarter in. I'll say something nice again. <laughs> yeah. Like a gumball machine. All right. Uh, let's see. MLF 1886. <laughs> it's probably their initials. All right. All right, here's, a, here's a couple questions, uh, but wants to know about, uh, let's see. Is this the most talented roster that Willie Taggart has ever had on paper? I, I'm not a huge Oregon Ducks guy, so I don't know looking at last year's, but, yeah, I would probably say it is. It's a good group. I mean, again, the USF talent, the, the talent that he had at USF in the American, which is a fine conference. It's produced a national championship team in the past year. <laughs> I hate you, UCF Homer. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this is obviously the most talent he's had. Yeah. But he's going against more a pretty, you know, it's ACC. There's not a whole lot of easy games on the schedule this year. Uh, not a whole lot of powerhouses outside of Clemson. But there's going to be like eight bowl teams that you play this the season. The league has a healthy amount of NFL talent. 
Yeah, there's just a whole second most in the country. Like if Wake Forest behind. is one of the worst teams you play on your conference schedule, like Wake Forest is going to be a pain in the butt. Dave Clawson does a good job there. Uh, so Willie's going to have a lot of talent, but he's also going to have to be good every week. I, I would, real quick, I was talking to someone over the summer that the on the staff, and and they were talking about coaching, um, and and kind of the philosophy they have as coaches, as it has to be with talent, and essentially they're under the the mindset that. They don't. They aren't going to pencil whip anyone. That that's almost impossible to do on a week to week basis in college football now. The way that the the tempos utilized and stuff. What they want to do with this team is is one acquire t- talent acquisition is the most important part, and then two create a culture in which that talent can can be free to play. And that's what you've seen so much. What Willie Taggart's wanted to do. So as it as it relates to having this talent, like I think they know that they have a, a really healthy group. They need to get better in some areas. We've talked about some of the deficiencies that they have overall, but the the scheme he's running, the system he's running, the tempo, using a quarterback, RPO, these are all things that they're putting together to maximize the talent on offense. That's why you should be excited if you're a Florida State fan, if not even for this year, but but going forward. Yeah, lethal simplicity are sexy, fun words, mm-hmm. but it's kind of what they live by. They, yeah. they don't want it to be difficult. It's not rocket science for them. It's about taking really good athletes, getting the ball in their hands, and going in and doing something with it, whether it's putting them in space, blocking it up, whatever it might be. They're going to try to be good at the fundamentals of football, teaching technique. They're, we've talked many times about how much of a teaching group they are. Mm-hmm. They want to be good at those things, but at the end of the day, they want to take really good athletes and allow them to go be really good athletes with the football in their hands. Yeah, it, isn't that interesting? Though, like to say, like we to not have the ego to say we're not going out there to try to pencil whip people. Like I think that's refreshing. I, you know, the I, I don't want to short sell them because I think they will set up people. There will be plays oh, they yeah. run that completely set up something they're going to run later, which is entirely coaching. But the understanding is this isn't someone that's going to have his face in a playbook trying to find the perfect play all yeah. the time. They know that they're going to give up some too. They like, want to have the athletes and the players capable of either lighting up the scoreboard or making sure the other team's going to have trouble lighting up the scoreboard. As people, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses in varying degrees. But like, yeah, there's only so much you can only be great at. I'm sorry, I'm getting too philosophical. You're smiling at me. Move on, Newton. <laughs> I'm gonna, this, I put it in December because it's about me. How tempo, is, baby, tempo. <laughs> I'm the Jimbo Fisher of podcast host. How is the Eagle Rare? The bourbon? Awesome. I did a special order. It was only 30 bucks, uh, like a couple bucks more than Buffalo Trace Line. Do it. It's awesome. I'm not an alcoholic. I just like bourbon. <laughs> sure. I did buy the Bell Mead, too, to, to, to crack open over this weekend. I'm going to Port St. Joe with the, the misses, uh, the last uh, hurrah, if you will, before football season. So I'm uh, looking forward to the sour mash there, too. Uh, two, uh, should we be concerned with the defense, in particular linebacker? We, talk, we talked about it. The linebackers aren't very good. Yeah, that, that's and a problem. Dontavious is, would be is, Leonard Warner is, Emmett Rice will be serviceable when mm-hmm. he's back to full health. I don't think he's quite there right now. Um, Do you think they have after a three? That, who, yeah, who are Deca- the three? capable of doing some stuff, if too. If you want to see three on the field at one time, who do you want to see? Dontavious in the middle, Jaden on one side, and at this point I would probably put DeKalen on the other. I would, too. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We've seen, we, we know DeKalen's gotten some. I would coach around it, though, and not play three linebackers very often. So, I, I would just play would-be Jackson and make sure you have an extra DB out there. Pot, Hamsa or A.J. Westbrook yeah, into that. Or, Hell, even I don't really want Bruton out there a lot, but they've played him in that. He looked okay when the when the open practices. Um, but yeah, until you see it, it's been been a few practice. (laughs) They do call real real quick. It's interesting uh, because I've been calling it Sam because that's what they listen. They call it money. Yeah, they call it money. Which if you guys remember in the old. F, he has old FSU old scheme. They had a Nate star Andrews. in money, but Nate Andrews, yeah. uh, AJ Westbrook. It was kind of that hybrid. 
not quite athletic enough to be a good back end safety, but uh, you know, physical enough to come down. It basically, it's a hybrid linebacker safety. Guy that could rack up tackles, be in position to make plays. Especially on passing downs. But the fact yeah. that they're calling it now in this scheme and it was called a Sam based on the depth chart that they used to have at Michigan State kind of makes me wonder like if they are going to transition a little bit to – this is completely just me guessing. Yeah, but but I think that may, may end up going with this faster unit. Um, and you put DeKalen Brooks there, makes sense. Yeah, I, you're, the linebackers on this team are not going to set the tone of physicality in my opinion. And I think recruiting proves that point. They're they're recruiting linebackers who can be day one contributors mm-hmm. in this class. That's what they're selling and it's, them on. It's not solely because that's what you should recruit. It's because that's what they need. And, and the fact that they're getting those guys though interested yeah. at that level one shows the commitment that they're making to try to get those guys interested. And two, you're giving them a pitch that's saying, "Hey, that's appealing to as me." As good as Woodby is, and I think extremely highly of that dude, walked in and took a starting role like it was no not, not business. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. And they they liked him and came in as a safety and moved, <laughs> moved yeah. down to linebacker and kind of changed up the way they viewed their defense. Flexible though, which is which is a good thing. So, anyways, third question there is how different is it to cover a team you didn't pull for? Is it a help or hindrance? I've said before, I'm not an FSU fan, and I'm not like I didn't go here. I grew up watching Florida State football. Like that's what got me into football. Was my second grade teacher was a Florida State fan. We did this thing called Seminole Math. We were she's two. a saint. She is. She is Miss Veerling. Hi, Miss Veerling, if you're if you're listening. <laughs> She emailed me one day when I was at the Sentinel before here, and she uh, she emailed me. She's like, hey, I read your stuff. That's so cool. I respect – I w- grew up watching Bobby Bowden's teams. I had a Peter Warwick jersey. Like, I like Florida State football. I'm just – I went to UCF, and I'm not a diehard fan. I don't think it impacts my coverage. Chris, you're someone who went here, and you cover this team objectively. Uh, I think I cover this team objectively too. It's just You just need to be able to, to not be a fan when you're in the press box. You need to be able to write tough stories when they're called on. Um and you do, and then on the other side, if you say like like someone like Safud Dean, uh, who at the Sentinel, he covers his team and he went to Florida. He's not vindictive. Like he'll take yeah. shots and enjoy it like on and social he, media. He's far from the only one on the beat. Went to Florida. That's so true. Yeah, I read that Warchant, and he covered. He's considered one of the I, most I professional people in the beat. So if you do it long enough, one, if you're around one program, you kind of learn what you like and you don't like about that program. That's just natural order of being around something so much. And two, I think the main job be fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if yeah, you know, it's not about blown smoke bullshit. And at the end of the day, the product itself, Whoa, earmuffs. the results are gonna you know kind of tell the truth of the matter. So work towards that direction. All right, I'm scrolling down to see if we have any more questions. I mean, Quentin C asked about Nick Cross. Or did that uh, Adelie Canada? Uh, who are going to be the starting three linebackers? Did that? Who's going to be opposite cornerback of Levante Taylor? Uh, Kyle, Kyle Myers is what it appears to be. He wants to know who if Samuels is unable to play, who will start at free safety or field safety. We already went over that. Yeah, uh, I do think AJ Litton, Lighton, Willie said Lighton, right? Yeah, they like him. He's going to play, and I think he'll play early. Yeah, Guru. <laughs> That's Odell Hagen just came in to say hi. Calls Chris Need the Guru plug. Awesome. I think he likes me. He calls, you, he calls you guru. <laughs> Maybe <Nah>. it's sarcastic. <laughs> um, all right, I think those are all the questions, man. That's a good way to end this. All right, guru, fist bump. Did you want a fist bump? No. <laughs> this is Brendan Sano with the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me as always. We are ending this at 59 minutes. Damn, we're good. 